question of whether we want more Twilight Zone is always quite a divisive one. When the new Twilight Zone television series involving Jordan Peele was announced, I sat back and looked at the response on social media. There were those of us who were happy and hopeful, and there were some who were of the opinion that the Twilight Zone began and ended with Rod Serling and the original series, and that anything else that comes after is just imitation. But in this case, unlike many situations where people have opposing views on things, I think this is one where each side can actually see where the other is coming from. You know, sure, I want more Twilight Zone, but yes, people are right, the original hasn't been matched yet, and maybe it just never can be. And those who think that the original series should stand alone and that to try and carry it on without Rod Sailing is futile, well, those people still love the Twilight Zone and can at least understand and appreciate why other people still want more. We all want to stay in the Twilight Zone. So when someone comes to a new Twilight Zone product in some form or another, you know, are there any rules to this? Is it okay to do it in one format, but not another? And I think everyone will have their own views on that. But for me, there's only really one rule. Does it feel like the Twilight Zone? It's mainly the television and film continuations that are the most divisive and I've always said that in other mediums we are a bit more accepting of different versions of the Twilight Zone because that massive empty space left by Rod Serling is less obvious in a book or in an audio play. But what about on the stage? Over the last month or so I have been championing the production of The Twilight Zone at the Almeida Theatre in London and on the evening of the 14th of December 2017 I got to sit in the audience and find out the answer to that question for myself. Does The Twilight Zone on stage feel like The Twilight Zone? First performed on the 5th of December 2017, based on stories written by Rod Serling, Charles Beaumont and Richard Matheson, and adapted for the stage by Anne Washburn and directed by Richard Jones. As of this recording, we are now at the point in the play where there are still people who have yet to go and see it, and perhaps want to listen to this review and see how it is. So for those people, I'll give a brief overview and maybe leave out some of the surprises and hope that you come back and listen to the rest after you've seen the play. But there are also people who, perhaps because of geography, are unable to go to the show and are listening to try and get a flavour of it and maybe live a little vicariously through me and my experience. So when I get to that point where 
and maybe going into a bit more detail than someone who is going to see the show wants to hear, I will give you fair warning. The writer of The Twilight Zone on stage, Anne Washburn, was recently interviewed for The Guardian newspaper, and they talk about what they describe as their best-known work to date, which was a play called Mr. Burns, which they describe like this. In the play, the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons becomes the basis for a post-apocalyptic human culture as the survivors of a nuclear disaster tell and retell the story of the episode to each other. And then Anne Washburn gives a quote and she says, What I love about the Greek theatre is that it's a huge drama and it's singing and it's dancing. It's the most intense thing you could possibly do. And then the article goes on to say that Mr. Burns climaxes in a theatrically exuberant final act in which the Cape Fear episode is transformed into an operatic performance packed with pop culture references. And Robert Icke's production at the Almeida Theatre in London was a brilliantly chaotic swirl of colour and song. I never saw Mr. Burns, but from that article it seems that there's an appreciation of pop culture there and how that can be filtered through different people's perceptions of it. Which is interesting because while there are obvious commonalities in Twilight Zone fandom, I think each of us have our own idea of the Twilight Zone. That melding of images and sounds and stories that is a bit different for each of us, depending on how we first consumed it, what our favourite episodes are, what kind of people we are, what our preferences are. The essence of the Twilight Zone is the same, but different for all of us. And then the Guardian article goes on, and it says, Washburn wasn't a die-hard Twilight Zone fan before the Almeida Theatre offered her the gig. She remembers being scarred by a number of episodes as a child, seeing herself more as a curator than an author on the project. She says her job was to organise the script by creator Rod Serling and other writers of the original show. And she says, if Serling is the personal secretary to The Twilight Zone, and if Charles Beaumont and Richard Matheson are head clerks, then I am sort of like The Girl Friday. And it says her first task was to watch all 156 episodes before she and director Richard Jones could begin whittling the series down to those stories that would work best for a theatre audience. Some things just weren't feasible on stage. And she says there are several cool episodes which unfortunately involve an impossible amount of vanishing. But she adds that theatre has some powers which television does not have. And the article goes on, they ended up with a couple of flagship episodes along several more obscure offerings. Washburn hopes that fans of the original series will enjoy the adaptation, but stresses that it's a different animal to the experience of late at night sneaking down and watching a TV show on a small black and white TV. She's reluctant to give too much away about the show. All she reveals is that it will thread together several episodes within 
a containing structure. So going into the theatre, that article is pretty much all I knew. I'd stayed away from all reviews. But how do you distill the essence of 156 episodes into one performance for the stage? How do you try to satisfy that similar but different perception that every viewer has? If you do one story, people are always going to wish you did another one. So I have to take my hat off to Anne Washburn for even attempting to do that job. So before I saw the show, one line in that article really piqued my interest. All she reveals is that it will thread together several episodes within a containing structure. When it was first announced that this production was happening, my first thought was that maybe they would pick four episodes and have a surrogate Rod Serling come on, do a narration, they'd perform one episode, and then surrogate Rod Serling would come on again, and so on and so forth. As the article suggests, that's not really the case, and the play is more or less bookended by two more expansive episode adaptations, but what goes on between is more of a flowing, constantly moving presentation of more Twilight Zone stories, but in a much more fractured and moving form. When I spoke to Arlen Schumer recently about his book Visions from the Twilight Zone, we spoke about how he took certain images, certain fonts, certain lines from the show, and he created that collage of all these things to produce a book that was more about that half-remembered nighttime viewing of the Twilight Zone, where you're neither asleep nor awake. Although Anne Washburn in that article says that this is a different animal to that, I think there is a similar approach because at times it is just snatches of things and scenes and images to create an overall experience. And I'll go into that in a little more detail in a moment. But if you're listening now and you have a ticket in your pocket or you have the intention of getting one and are wondering whether it's worth your time, I would say this to you. There are times in this play that I almost had tears in my eyes from what I was seeing on the stage. If you have the opportunity to go and watch the show, you should absolutely take it, 100%. This is the Twilight Zone on stage in London and... While I do have some misgivings, which I'll get into a little bit later on, as an experience and as a Brit who has sat behind this microphone for seven years preaching the Twilight Zone on a tiny island that doesn't even have it on in reruns, I wouldn't have missed this for the world, and I don't think you should either. So if you have the chance, take it. Now go and enjoy the show and come back and listen to the rest afterwards.
For those of you who are left and will not have the opportunity to see the show and want to get a flavour of it, I'll be a little bit more explicit now, but it would be unfair to the show to be too explicit. But I'll go as far as maybe some of the other reviews that I've now read in terms of details. Just to give you an idea of what you see when you sit down, the stage is surrounded by that familiar rounded television screen shape. Before the show starts, we have a white cover over the stage saying CBS, so the imagery is starting to become very familiar. Then throughout the play, the stage itself is just floor to ceiling black, punctuated by stars. And throughout the show, as different scenes come into play, the scenery will be moved in and out at times in a kind of non-stop way. It was constantly flowing. So in that Guardian interview with Anne Washburn, it says that she came to this not as a Twilight Zone diehard, but as someone with some memories of the show, which puts me, I suppose, in a similar position when it comes to the theatre. Of course I've been to the theatre and I do enjoy the theatre, but we're probably talking maybe three times in a decade maybe that I'll go, and while I'm sure every theatre wants to be as inclusive as possible, when you're looking from the outside in, not being part of that world, it does seem quite impenetrable at times. The language that people use when they're discussing plays and the way that they tap into a different type of performance that we're used to than on television and film, a more projected performance. So, you know, I admit I don't know theatre, but I do know The Twilight Zone. I've seen it on television, I've seen it on film, and I've heard it in audio plays and read it in books. So, seeing it like this in a totally new way was such an exciting prospect for me. And I won't go through the show beat by beat, but I will touch on some areas to try and give you an idea of what it is. I remember when I reviewed the episode Will the Real Martian Police Stand Up? and I commented on how it was an ideal episode for a stage adaptation. One location, several different characters with different dynamics between them, and that's exactly where this production begins. Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up is an episode that does have a certain amount of camp to it. The bug-eyed old man, the way the characters speak in such perfectly scripted turn, and then the reveals of the aliens at the end. As a theatre novice, I do think that theatrical performances, the way the actors project, does take some acclimatisation. So starting with Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, I think was actually a good choice because there's a certain element of those larger performances in that episode already. It already is pretty much a stage play on screen. So as a way of acclimatising a Twilight Zone fan to the theatre and a theatre goer to the Twilight Zone, I think it was a good move to begin the show in this way. 
So in our first segment, the story of Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? While it's mostly complete, it doesn't actually conclude here. And the show then goes on to become that much more fluid thing. Other episodes play, but in fragments or shorter scenes. Episodes like And When the Sky Was Opened and Little Girl Lost get frequent scenes of moderate length, so they gradually layer up throughout the production. And between those, there are transitional scenes which are sometimes just cast members walking onto the stage in these starry coverall suits, holding famous Twilight Zone images like the blinking eye or the spiral. As I said earlier, the stage itself is literally floor to ceiling in black with those stars throughout. And a constant presence on the stage is this bright white door, which most of the players will enter or leave their scenes through at some point. And I think it nicely captures the Twilight Zone as a kind of multiverse of stories held together by this expanse of space and doorways. And if you go through one, you'll be in Little Girl Lost. If you go through another, you're in Perchance to Dream. So I think that was a nice touch and it's quite cleverly done how the door is constantly moving as the scenes move and the characters come through it at different times. And it's in these transitions that we get an extremely shortened down version of one of the Twilight Zone's most famous and celebrated stories, Eye of the Beholder. That episode too is perhaps very suited to the stage. It's got one location, it has very few characters, but in this production we get it as a silent, transitional thing, fleeting glimpses of it between bigger scenes of different stories. The episode, the original episode, is obviously very visually stunning, this dark, moody, sometimes quite abstract piece. So aspects of it can survive a purely visual interpretation. And the first time we see the figure of Janet Tyler with the bandages on her face being attended to by a nurse with a surgical mask covering most of hers. I'll be honest, I felt like tearing up because it did put me in the same room as one of the Twilight Zone's most resonant moments, and it was beautiful. But we don't actually hear any of that poetic Eye of the Beholder dialogue, which I suppose may fall into that category of when you're adapting the Twilight Zone for the stage, people are always going to be wanting some things that time or circumstances will dictate that you can't give them. But staging it in that way was perhaps indicative of an aspect of the show that, as a whole, did kind of trouble me. Now the show begins with Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, an episode that has a certain amount of camp to it, but it never really drops that tone, and at times I kind of felt that it should. Undoubtedly, there are things in the original show that sometimes feel a little silly now. And then there are the famous pop culture things like the imagery, the music, and the show does use Bernard Herrmann's Outer Space Suite throughout it quite often. But also part of the Twilight Zone is humanity, 
regret, hope, love, every part of the human condition just laid bare. Yes, part of the Twilight Zone experience is silly aliens with big heads, but it's the way it speaks to every one of us about experiences that we've all had that really holds it in our hearts. The conversation Martin Sloan has with his father in walking distance, Garth Williams' gradual breakdown in A Stop at Willoughby, the regret and pure heartbreak of Max Phillips in In Praise of Pip. Just these very sort of truthful and bare human moments that I wanted to be in the same room as when an actor delivered those lines to me. When I was going to this production, what I originally intended to do, because I knew that some people just aren't going to be able to go, a lot of my audience for the podcast is in America. So I bought an audio recorder and what I wanted to do was a bit of a road episode where I recorded some excited pre-show commentary, my hopes for the production, maybe read a bit of that Guardian article and so on. And then, as soon as the show ended, record some fresh initial reactions afterwards to try and give the impression that you were along for the ride in some way. Now, unfortunately, the quality of what I recorded isn't great. You know, it's not something that I'm used to doing and I should have invested in a better recorder. What I did record, I might try and salvage some of it and put it as an extra on the Patreon page, but I need to go through it and see exactly what turned out and what didn't. So the misgivings I have, they're not about me saying I wish they'd done some episodes instead of others. And I did enjoy the show, you know, I came out afterwards and I met a listener to the Twilight Zone podcast, a wonderful man and a new friend called James. And he said to me, you know, what do you think of it? And at that time, I came out and the show more or less closes on its most successful adaptation of an episode with an adaptation of The Shelter. And then there is this closing scene which is also really strong, so it kind of goes out really on a high. And I came out, you know, and, and it was an odd feeling because I was so happy about having been there and having watched it and this really strong end and that puts you in, in such a great place but deep down it just felt like there was something gnawing away at me and I couldn't quite put my finger on it so me and James we sat and we had a glass of wine and we discussed it and then James told me his thoughts as well so I'll play a small part of that conversation the quality isn't great it's quite noisy there in the bar but hopefully you'll be able to hear it I, I mean, there, there was times when uh, I almost teared up. You know, the, the moment when um, the uh, Eye of the Beholder woman came on, yes. and they're sort of playing with that imagery, and it's sort of like a, a connective tissue kind of thing, isn't it? Yes. And you, you see her walk out on the stage, and just that, it was very immersive, just sort of seeing that, that TV screen there and those kind of images sort of just dancing across the stage so that was cool but there was times when I, I kind of felt like 
man there, there was some, such wonderful dialogue in that that episode I wish they would focused on it and had a bit of, a bit of that in there and I think the only one where they perhaps really focused on the more you know social commentary aspect of it was the shelter they seem to and, and I can see what they were doing they, 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 and I like the way they did sort of have it as this fluid thing not just like here's a second here's a second here's a second and, and I kind of like that but I wish they would talk a bit more time with some of the things you know, and, and because at the end of the day it, it, I know she's doing her own thing on it um, but it, it's Rod Sailing isn't it and you, you want to hear his, his actors speaking his words kind of thing so the sh- you know the shelter was good I, I just wish maybe they'd just been a bit more expansive on some of the other bits but at the same time just as this collage of sort of Twilight Zone imagery and lines and, and stuff coming out yeah, it, it was cool in that regard as well so I guess it's always going to be a balancing act isn't it and everyone's opinion on whether they get that balancing act right or wrong is, is going to be different Um, let me just take a quick breath Um, so I'm 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 conflicted on it Um, like you said like watching it as a fan but also watching it as an actor but to be honest just just being a human being that trumps all that um, and for me what I my biggest takeaway from it was it was a real lack of authenticity um, it was very gimmicky I thought um, it almost reminded me a little bit of the old Tower of Terror you know over in Disneyland uh, Californian Adventure but at times, the, um, the Tower of Terror actually upstaged that production tonight, I thought. Um, I completely agree about the shelter. It was almost like... I mean, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody or anything like that, but um, it was a real mishmash segments, cutaways of, you know, a bunch of episodes. And then it almost seemed to me... And, and so much of that was played for laughs yeah. and gags it was this reoccurring gags all the way through it gimmicks um, and it's like a big fan of Rod Serling like I guess I felt I got offended a lot of the time with the gags um, like it, <laughs> at one point like everyone was laughing it was like the reoccurring cigarette thing and I, I did I, I mouthed and I, 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 I verbalised it um or something and the guy beside me looked at me but I, I was just so sick of that same joke and like let's it's, it's not a comedy like of course there's comedic elements in any good writing and there but they just didn't go for the authenticity of it and yeah, the seriousness yeah. of it and um yeah I agree the shelter it was expanded upon and I I think predominantly because of Trump and because of yeah, Brexit that, that was definitely it wasn't it it was so topical and political they were like alright well let's make it just a fun fair and then let's really expand this current political climate in this one Mm -hmm. and then it was strange because then it was 
it was almost like a comic strip of the Twilight Zone, but then like a 15-minute version of The Shelter. And, and they, they didn't really go for the sort of punchline of The Shelter either, which no. was that they all stand there and go, look at us, you yeah. know. What we become. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They just sort of gloss over it and, and go on, which I suppose happens too. But, you know, The Shelter was all about that, wasn't it? Like, everything's laid yeah. bare. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, there's such like his work is so brave, and at a time when it was still dangerous to be as like the kind of commentary that he run on uh, life in general through the Twilight Zone, it was it wasn't easy. It was edgy. Yeah. And t- tonight there was just no respect for that. I don't think um, it's a shame because there was a few enjoyable moments, and you could you could see you could pull something out of that and. You could change the running order and I almost love the, the concept of bits of it in his head and but again no spoilers, there was a really moving kind of finale speech, fin- yeah. final monologue and I enjoyed that but then at the same time I, I just felt I'd been robbed of that the entire night. Where was that sincerity throughout the, the actors' performances? You know? Difficult. Everyone was multitasking, so the actor, in the, their own right, is an insecure kind of being. So they're trying to be extremely different in every single role. So then it's it's almost comical, um, grotesque physicality, accents, costumes, just to try and appear different. So I, I thought either have have an even bigger cast or have less. Make it less busy, less roles, less stories. Yeah. You know? See, I, I very much thought it was going to be like, you know, four, four stories or yeah. something. And it'd be like one, two, three, four. And, it, you know, in, in some ways I like that they tried something a bit different. But, but you're right, the, you never get to the heart of anything. No. Not until that final two minutes. It yeah. really was an insight to the mind of Rod Serling. And, and I did, like, I just felt so betrayed if they had done that then. It was just way too late. And it made the whole thing uneven. It ended how I would like to, to have started. If it set off on that foot. I don't know. I, I feel guilty even saying this because I love the Twilight Zone, but then I also get annoyed when you get because um, I'm into like I love superhero stuff comic book stuff yeah. and I get annoyed with fans who go and watch some of the big movies and they're terrible but they defend them to the hill and again that would be anti-Rod Serling wouldn't it like I to be true to myself I I, I just felt disappointed in it and I don't know, I'd come with this big kind of Twilight Zone dream, you know, and, um, Yeah, yeah, I know you mean. It just, it didn't fulfill that. And maybe nothing ever will, like, you know, the way you talk about the potential of the new series and things. I don't know, it's gold, isn't it? It's like trying to reinvent Shakespeare. You know, it's... It is. It is. He is, you know, like... Television Shakespeare, like it's timeless classical stuff. And, uh, and again, when so as an actor, when you approach Shakespeare with gimmicks and 
a lack of authenticity it becomes like a pantomime yeah it's coming back you know and, and I think there was moments when the audience laughed and I don't think they were really going for laughs yeah 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 as well uh, and I think maybe that's because of the tone they were, they were sort of putting out there it was kind of there was a kind of like isn't in kind of Christmas panto kind of feel to it wasn't it at the end of the year have a few drinks and have a laugh at something like the Twilight Zone and for me that's just a wrong I mean it's the acting it's the directing it's the production it's it's a wrong take on it if I was going to do it I would just go for the heart of what it is like we should leave we should leave horrified or inspired or in love or doubting ourselves Question of existence, all the things that we've experienced when we've, yeah. we've watched the show talk. Um, but, like, yeah, the biggest highlight of my night tonight has been meeting you <laughs> so far. <laughs> and some of the, and it's great to see the logo and some of the branding and the staging and all that. That was all done very well. There's just too much of an emphasis on the gimmickry of it, and that's, you know. Well, Sitting there and discussing it with James really kind of helped me organise my own thoughts on it. And like I said, I did enjoy being immersed in the Twilight Zone imagery for a couple of hours and and revisiting some famous scenes. So while it did hold a certain kind of enjoyment on that distilled pop culture level, it really gave me that Twilight Zone feeling of this is talking to me, you know, this is telling me something, not just about my life, but everyone's lives. And it's interesting that a lot of the reviews that I've now read, which admittedly are overwhelmingly positive, often start out with something along the lines of, you all remember the music, and focus on a lot of the remembrances of a populace here in England who recall the Twilight Zone in very small ways, you know, ask the guy in the street what he remembers about the Twilight Zone and he'll probably say, the music, twist endings, a guy who smokes a cigarette all the time, but those things are just the window dress and the heart of the Twilight Zone is much deeper than that. Sailing was a words man and one of the things that James said during our conversation was that he hoped it would be a stripped down, very honest representation of some of these very truthful and meaningful episodes. And I have to agree, you know, we are in the theatre. There's no screen dividing us from the actors doing their thing. It should be an ideal place to showcase one of those famous Rod Serling two-handers where two actors just bounce words off each other or, or something like George Clayton Johnson's A Game of Pool or maybe Charles Beaumont's Shadow Play where a man just sits and unravels in front of us. You know, these are things where the actor could really just sit and deliver that or stand and deliver that to you directly. You know, it doesn't need much around it for that to be a great thing. And I, I think when Anne Washburn said that the theatre can give us things that television can't, I think being in the same room as that performance is exactly that thing and like I said that's not me saying I wish they'd done other episodes beyond the ones they did but 
I just think the overall tone was not quite what I'd hoped for. Now I mentioned that towards the end it is bookended by another expansive scene which is an adaptation of The Shelter. And it's here where I do feel that it is a bit more in line with what I hoped it would be. You know, there's no stagecraft, no gimmicks, just actors playing out a scene, which is more or less a complete version of The Shelter, save some establishing video clips earlier on in the show, where the characters all sit down to dinner, like they do in the episode. But in this scene, we have the Doctor and his family going down into the shelter and his friends and neighbours arguing between themselves about who deserves to go into the shelter with them. I commented when I reviewed the shelter about how in times of crisis or hardship people will often start to turn on the other. And the stage version adds a different layer to this. As in the original we have Frank Henderson turning on Marty Weiss because he's an immigrant. He uses phrases like your kind and in the stage version that dynamic is here, present and correct. But we also have a new family, the Martin family, who are black. The writer Anne Washburn is an American and clearly in this instance the shelter has been tweaked to comment on the current American climate and probably the British climate too with Brexit. The characters argue about who is more of a patriot, as if that shouting that you're a patriot the loudest excuses all other behaviour. I can do this or I can say this because I'm a patriot. And that's just one aspect of the conversation. The addition of the black family does add that extra layer, as if that when they were socialising with their neighbours in their block parties and card games. They weren't so much accepted, more that they were tolerated, and it didn't take much for that veneer to come off. There's a great moment when the squabbling male characters are momentarily off stage, and the wife from the Henderson family stands at one side of the stage, while the wife from the Martin family stands at the other. And these are two women who before this would have happily chatted to each other, but they just stood, looking at each other, unable to connect anymore, because their friendship has been exposed as being basically a lie. So they stand, and they say nothing. And the conversation itself, between all of the characters, this argument, this debate that they're having, is our current climate boiled down into these handful of characters and when you do that, when you have people talking to each other in that way in this very small environment, it kind of exposes the nonsense of a lot of things that people are saying. I mean, it basically boils down to who got here first. And the thing about people who say that is that more often than not, they weren't there first either. There was always someone else. So this is more like what I hoped for, you know, having those themes brought forward. And the themes are timeless in the original show, but you can add details to them that makes them even more relevant to the moment that we're living in now. I mean, Eye of the Beholder, again, in this 
world we live in where you know image is king that would have been a great episode if they could have included some of that dialogue too but again i'm not going to nitpick too much on episodes that they should have done but it just feels to me that this is where it really was the strongest and i just wish they'd done maybe a little bit more of this than focusing on the more poppy trappings of the twilight zone which while undoubtedly are part of it to the fan i don't think they're really the thing that really keeps it in our hearts so this scene is good stuff and you know worth the price of admission although in this version for some reason at the end instead of standing and looking at each other after the carnage and wondering what they've become they kind of gloss over it and carry on seemingly happy to carry on with the lie despite it being exposed now perhaps that's saying something in itself i'm just not quite sure what it is but i want to make clear that while i do have my misgivings about certain aspects of the show i think every creator who is adapting something that's gone before does have to make certain choices and not everyone is going to agree with those choices perhaps especially someone like me who is so entrenched in the twilight zone although i do consider myself not to be a particularly nitpicky fan who can't stand anything to be changed you know i know i'm not and i've often said on the show that if the magic of an episode generally works even if the story is maybe problematic in some ways then that doesn't really matter as long as the magic works for me but hopefully i've made clear what my misgivings are but hopefully i've also made it clear that i wouldn't have missed this for anything and i give my thanks to the almeida theater for inviting me along And at the end of the show came another moment that I wouldn't have missed for anything. An actor called John Marquez, like all actors in the play, takes on several roles. But Mr. Marquez takes on the role of the narrator. He has a very naturally sailing-like appearance with his heavy brow and a rugged, interesting face. He probably would have fitted quite well into the original show. He pitches his role as the narrator, I think, really well. He doesn't go for camp. He doesn't go for a really dead-on sailing impersonation. He just lets his similarity to sailing carry that performance without trying to do sailing, which I, I think was a great choice. And throughout the play were teased by certain characters giving sailing-esque closing narrations to their scenes. But it's only at the end that Marquez steps up in his suit and tie to deliver the final monologue. And again, this was a moment that almost brought tears to my eyes and made me walk out on a high. It's here that doing the Twilight Zone in the theatre really made sense. With no television screen between us, Marquez is able to really speak to us in the audience 
and not just to speak to us, but actually to include us in his summing up. And it's here that we all got to be part of that Rod sailing closing narration. You know, often sailing's narrations were all about us, but with years and a television camera between us, you can only go so far. So to be in the room and have John Marquez, or the narrator as he's called, take that little step towards us, to point to us and open his arms to us and speak to us and make his speech all about us in a very explicit way, that was very magical. And in that moment, all of us sitting in that theatre were part of the Twilight Zone. Ladies and gentlemen, December has been a very busy month for me and it's unlikely that I'll get another episode to you before the end of the year. Normal service will resume in 2018. And if you managed to go to the show and have came back to listen to the rest of this episode, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope my misgivings haven't tarnished your experience in any way. Because those misgivings are my own and everyone's point of view on that will be different. And if they are, by all means, send your thoughts into the show by email or mp3 and we'll listen to them in the next episode. I do hope you had a wonderful time. You know, we sat in a theatre in London and watched The Twilight Zone and I wouldn't change that for anything. So to everyone who listens to The Twilight Zone podcast... I want to thank you all for your support in 2017. I want to thank you for listening and writing iTunes reviews and emails and tweets about how you enjoy the show. It all does mean the world to me. And I want to wish you a Merry Christmas to you and your families and a Happy New Year. And as I always mention, the 25th of December is also Rod Sailing's birthday, so I hope you'll join me in a toast to the great man on that day. So Merry Christmas. Let's meet again in 2018 in the Twilight Zone.